Now, no good preacher would ever start out their sermon with a four-letter word, much less base their entire sermon around it. But here goes. That word is hope. It is four letters, H-O-P-E. And you might be thinking that that doesn't count, but I beg to differ, because I think we live in a world where talking about hope is a little bit like burping at the dinner table, especially in front of the queen. Everything just seems so bad in the world right now. How can we stand up and say that there is real hope? With the rise of depression, drug overdoses, mistrust, hatred, misinformation, warfare, can we still have lives based in hope? Now, first of all, hope is not the same as optimism. They often get conflated, like we're going to hope for the best, like we have this idea that if we just think the right thoughts, that everything might turn out okay. The late British rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, in his book, Celebrating Life, pointed out that optimism is passive. Hope is active. If you want an illustration, optimism is having a gym membership. Hope is actually going jogging every morning. But what is the opposite then of hope? If it's not optimism, if it's active, if it's a doing, the opposite of hope is despair. Despair leads to inaction. Despair is driven by guilt. It's driven by fear. It's the sense that I just want to go back into my bedroom and curl up in the fetal position on my bed and hope that maybe tomorrow some miracle will have happened and everything will be better. Those who do not have hope are always going to be tempted to act out of despair which is why Luther writes in the small catechism that when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are asking that the Lord would, quote, guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. If you go out into the world and ask the world, what is a sin? What do you think are the sins that churches throughout our city or province or country are talking about this morning? I can bet that despair is not on their list. And yet here it is right at the heart of our small catechism, that this is the number one symptom that sin is living and active, that we've lost hope and live instead in false belief, despair, which only then leads to other great shame and vice. Without hope, everything grinds to a halt. But with hope, you can get through the hour, through the day, the month, and the year, and even beyond. And so the question before us this morning about that four-letter word hope is where can we find it? First of all, let's talk about where you don't find it. The world is full of merchants of false hope. Things they want you to build your life on, but will always disappoint you. I think of all of the cults and cult leaders throughout history and even today that sell false hopes about the end of the world 
or when such and such an event is going to take place or when this other thing is going to come to pass. When I was in my church in Houston, Texas, we had a nurse that was part of our congregation who was working at one of the large hospitals in Houston. They have a medical center that puts the Glen to shame. It's like the Glen, but over like 10 blocks. It just goes on and on. And there was a young man, a veteran, deeply wounded, who had been brought back to the hospital in Houston to heal. Now, his parents were members of a very large church whose pastor is well-known on television. There's a lot of those in the United States, so I'm not going to tell you who it is. But that pastor thought it would be really great for publicity to show up at the hospital and go and visit this young veteran, which he did. And as he did, and the father of the young man was with him, he said, do you know what? This boy would be getting better if you just had more faith in Jesus and didn't trust in this hospital. He needs to just go home and he will recover by the power of prayer. And sure enough, that dad checked him out of the hospital, took him home, and he died within the week. There are merchants of false hope everywhere. Even parents can fall into this trap where our child asks us, is everything going to be okay? And of course, we respond, yeah, everything's going to be fine. Like when Sophia would say, dad, what if your plane crashes on the way to Jamaica or Puerto Rico? You know how badly I would have loved to have just said, don't worry, that won't happen. But that's a false hope, and it's what the world sells. We can't even, in North America, tell our children that school is going to be okay, especially after this week. And so false hope comes at a very high cost. It leads to bitterness and to disillusion and to bad living and finally rebellion even against God. False hope leads to despair, which leads to unholiness. As Jesus proclaimed in the Sermon on the Mount, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So Paul wants to preach to you and to his people real hope. And so he ties hope to, of all things, the ascension of Jesus. We are used to tying hope to the resurrection, to the empty tomb, to the fact that our Lord, who was crucified for our sins on the cross, rose again after three days. But Paul goes beyond that and says our real hope that can get us through this life is actually in Christ's ascension to the right hand of the Father. He says, God has raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And because of that, we can have real hope for our own future. How so? For one important reason, the ascension does not mean that Jesus is gone. When we say ascension, we're not talking about his disappearance from worldly affairs, that he has suddenly ascended to some planet or cloud or nebula somewhere where he is watching everything from a distance, wringing his hands, wondering if humanity will ever get their act together, wondering why there is so much bitterness and anger. Oh, can't they just find some hope? If only I could go back there and encourage them. That is not what the ascension is about. 
Ascension is about promotion. When a senior staff person in a company or a politician takes a new higher position, it's not unusual for them to take their trusted staff with them. People who have an administrative assistant that they have come to trust gets promoted along the ladder with them. That was the whole premise, by the way, of the old British sitcom, maybe some of you remember, Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. And the minister in the series gets promoted. He takes with him his administrative assistant who becomes now the assistant to the prime minister. Jesus's ascension is his promotion. It is his receiving of what he says in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth. And when Jesus is promoted, so are we. We, as mere human beings, are now tied with Jesus, who is human, at the right hand of the Father. We look at God and no longer see a being that is unrelatable, but now see one of our own, a brother. And Jesus, who says he is going to crush all of his enemies and put them under his feet, is also crushing our enemies and putting them under our feet. Jesus trusts us, but he doesn't trust us because we are innately trustworthy. We are trusted because Jesus has called us. Paul says he has given us the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It is Jesus who has called us to sainthood by the will of the Father. It is by the Spirit that we are given wisdom and knowledge, and that is the good news of hope. That by Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension, our sins are forgiven, and we are now inheritors of everything that is Christ's. Heaven is open to you and to me. Sins are forgiven in Christ. All things are now yours. And no matter what comes to pass in this world, we have the hope that allows us to continue to love our neighbor because we know that God in Christ has loved us. Now, it's true that we do not walk and talk and eat with Jesus as the early disciples did. But can you imagine if Jesus had not ascended? And he'd stayed around walking and talking just like he did back in Galilee and in Judea 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine the fights over who would get to sit next to him at dinner? Can you imagine the fights of who would get to walk closest to him as he went from town to town? Who would get to buy his plane tickets? Who would get to sit next to him on the plane? It's precisely for that reason that Jesus has ascended, that he might be with each of us wherever we are. No fights anymore of who has the best place, because we all have the best place by his side. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, and I think you will all agree with me, that it is easy to find hopelessness in the world. We're awash in it. The climate is changing. Our cities will be flooded. Our coasts will be destroyed. Viruses will come and take away our lives and our freedoms. We have no more faith in our institutions. People turn to violence to solve their problems. The language that's now used for even our own Canadian politicians going door to door is beyond anything I imagine would ever happen in Canada. Nice, 
Canada, generous Canada in my lifetime. Who among you has watched the news on television or read the news on your smartphone and then put it down and said, man, I feel full of hope. Everything's getting better. Isn't this all great? Who has listened to a politician's speech and said, man, I feel much better about the state of the world now. The reality is that the market for hope is wide open because the only people we're competing with are people selling hopelessness or false hope. And the market for false hope is pretty big. This pill will help you live longer. This stock will make you rich. This party or this person will save your country. This prayer will make everything all right. Go to this church and you'll never be sick. Listen to that pastor and you'll never be poor. There are wolves in sheep's clothing everywhere. But Jesus has ascended to the right of the Father. You know that he is your God. All authority in heaven and on earth is yours. You know that the same son that ascended was crucified for you, that he rose for you. And if he did those things for you, then you know that he was ascended for you as well. Ascension does not mean that Jesus is gone. It means that he is present in all the places where he promised you and I that he would be in your baptism, making you his children, at the altar, feeding you with his body and blood, in his word, proclaiming to you the reality of his presence, in absolution, forgiving you your sins, in your mutual conversation with each other as you give each other the real hope of a crucified and risen and ascended Lord. That is our hope. And while there are many great festivals in the church here, Christmas, which we all love because we have the baby Jesus, and who doesn't love a baby, and the manger and the angels and the shepherds, and Easter, and who doesn't love Easter, especially in the northern hemisphere, because finally spring has come, and the city is starting to look a little bit alive and a little bit less dead, and we have flowers and leaves out again. And Pentecost pushes us out into the world to be the body of Christ. Ascension is unique in that its central message is hope. It's the festival that centers our faith, that strengthens us for what lies ahead and gives us the promise of a better future. That Because it is not some unknown that governs all things, but our brother Jesus Christ, our crucified Lord himself, we can have hope. We can act in hope. We can live in hope because it is for hope that Jesus has ascended. As the great hymn says that we will sing shortly, God has raised our human nature on the clouds to God's right hand. There we sit in heavenly places. There with him in glory stand. Jesus reigns adored by angels. Man with God is on the throne. By our mighty Lord's ascension, we by faith behold our own. That is our hope. Amen.